the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. If you think about the history of mankind down through the millennia, you realize that mankind, in fact, has built a lot. We've built bridges and buildings, airplanes that touch the sky. We've traveled the seven seas. We've built rockets and gone to the moon, even cured diseases like polio. But for all that we have built and done, the one institution we did not create is marriage. We've rather messed that up quite a bit, in fact. And family, well... Family's in trouble, too, much to the chagrin of its creator, very God himself. So what went wrong, and what all the abundance of evidence of what's happening to our society today because of what's happened to marriage, we offer some insights now as we're joined by the president and co-founder of Family Life Ministries. You, of course, hear the broadcast Family Life Today, weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. Dennis Rainey. And Dennis, great to have you on the program. It's great to be with you there in San Francisco. And Dennis, of course, we're looking forward to having you here in San Francisco for our 24th annual Pastors Appreciation Luncheon coming up on Tuesday, November the 8th. You can get more information about Dennis's visit by going to kfax.com. And we'll tell you more about that coming up a little bit later on in our conversation. Dennis, as you look at the landscape of what's happened to marriage here over the course of the last certainly 40-something years that you've been involved in the Ministry of Family Life today, it, it just seems as if we're not only watching it fall apart at the seams, but we're also seeing the devastating impact that it's having on society. What's going on? Well, you know, I think it's a spiritual battle, Greg. I I, uh, I think there's a spiritual battle between good and evil. And uh, if God created it, and uh, marriage and family, and he did, and if there is evil, and there is, you can be assured if it, if it was God's first choice to create, it's the enemy's first choice to attack. And if you look at the book of Genesis and how the, uh, the beginning of time uh, opens up, it, it begins with a marriage and it, it, it shows uh, a serpent uh, attacking the marriage relationship and uh, getting them isolated from God and from each other. Uh, the serpent called the woman and the man to be your own God. And they, they took the bait, and uh, the rest is history. So we're really dealing with something that goes all the way back to the beginning. And I think 
Craig, uh, today we shouldn't be surprised that marriage and family are under attack in some fresh ways because the enemy has all kinds of ways to distort the truth. And I like the point that you make out. If we had to distill it down to two very simple factors and kind of cut through all the minutia of the statistics and, and whatnot, it really does come down to two factors. Isolation between the creation between mankind and God and isolation between husband and wife. And, of course, the results of that are devastating. You know, we get married for intimacy. Uh, we've all heard the verse that's read at, at weddings. Uh, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked, and they were not ashamed. We get we get married to, to be intimate, to have a, have a relationship. And yet, uh, frankly, uh, I was just writing about this a bit earlier this morning. Uh, it's the one relationship on the planet and, and you kind of touched on this in your beginning words there, Craig. It's the one relationship on the planet that we are not adequately equipped for to make it work. Marriage is between two imperfect people, and it's the most intimate of all relationships. And you don't just naturally become one. Um, it's interesting to me, to, uh, Craig, just what's happening in our country. Cohabitation today, the number of people who are choosing not to marry is at an all-time high. And cohabitation, even within the church and outside the church, is the number one choice that people are making for marriage preparation. And, you know, there was an order in Genesis chapter 2 that was very clear. Uh, it says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, they shall cleave to one another and then become one. But the problem is we've reversed the order. We're becoming one before we've made the commitment. And we wonder why this thing doesn't work. And I, I get it. I understand why people uh, want to short circuit the, the cycle here. But God in his design knows how to make it work. And frankly, that's what we've been doing, Craig. You know this. For 40 years, Family Life has been equipping millions of people here in America and even more overseas in making this most intimate of all relationships go the distance. And, of course, that going the distance, that learning to, to make it work is really pivotal in, in relationship to the kinds of keys and insights necessary in order to give marriage a chance at working. I, I would liken it to, I say, Dennis, hey, let's you and I head off and uh, go take a trip. We're going to head across town here and go to lunch today. And we hop in my car and I just sit there behind the steering wheel and you say, well, Craig, aren't you going to start the engine? I said, well, uh, yeah, but I don't know how to. Well, um, and uh, well, here, I'll show you how to start it. And well, wait, you don't have any gas in the tank. And well, I didn't realize I needed any gasoline. And so suddenly we decide we're going nowhere because I don't know how to make clearly this car work. And I, I think of the number of marriage relationships, um, and, and you made reference to this, Dennis, the fact that we've seen not only a soaring divorce rate, uh, pretty steady of late at 51%, but the marriage rate amongst millennials uh, dropping a staggering 20 points just since 1960. And those, of course, that are marrying now, the millennials are getting married later and later in life. And more often, they like to see if they can live together to determine whether or not it will, quote unquote, work. But isn't it curious how we want to see if a, if a marriage relationship will work, but we don't want to do any of the work. We don't want to make any of the effort. In fact, we've never taken the time to learn what it takes to make it work. 
Well, what we've been doing for 40 years, we've been holding a, a conference. We have them in the Bay Area. We have them uh, in Portland, Seattle, uh, Southern California, 85 locations across the country uh, called a Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway. And here's what we do very simply. Uh, when a man and a woman get married, he's got a set of blueprints and she's got a set of blueprints. The problem is they're not the same set of blueprints. They think their love will win the day, and because they're beginning to build this house together, they wonder why it's not working. Well, if you had two different uh, architects, two different builders, operating off of two different sets of blueprints, you get some pretty funny-looking houses, don't you think, Craig? Yeah, it'd be a disaster. <laughs> it would be. Well, that's what's happened in marriage. I mean, if, here's the thing. Barbara and I have been married for 44 years. And I can tell you, even having the same set of blueprints, which is what we present at the Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway, uh, we actually uh, we actually help help pull this out of the Scripture along with 20 other men and women from all over the United States studying the Bible saying, what is the essence of how you build a marriage that goes the distance and is satisfying but also fulfills God's design? Uh, one of the things I'm concerned about, uh, Craig, is we dumped marriage down into this happiness factory. And it, I certainly believe God wants us to be happy and satisfied. But there's a more noble purpose to marriage than just two people being happy. Marriage was put on the planet to reflect who God is and his transcendent purposes for two people made in his image. And I think what's happening in our culture, we've lost that transcendent purpose for marriage. We've lost the transcendent purpose for having children. And in the process, we've dumbed it down to two people being happy. And so you don't make me happy. I'm going to get rid of you and go marry someone who will. And that doesn't work because the divorce rate among second marriages is even higher than that. I understand why people get a divorce. I don't throw any stones at them. We have them coming to our conferences and finding hope and healing in all kinds of ways. But I, I think today, Craig, uh, I'm more excited about what we're doing than ever before because I think it's the message of the day. Uh, it is the most basic unit of our country. And I think if we're going to see America return to its morality and its, its uh, uh, spiritual center, we've got to begin with how God made marriage and family to operate because that's where that's where that's the birthplace of where we train children to become men and women who respect each other follow the golden rule do what's right not what's wrong and and not be a fool and uh, I just think it's a great opportunity today for those who are listening to your broadcast here to just take a step back and say, how can I help this crisis of marriage? And they can be a part of the solution. Bring your friends, your family members, and come to a weekend to remember, get trained, and get some tools there to bring back to your neighborhood, to your church, and make an impact upon the people in your community. Because uh, I'll tell you, I, th I think our country... I think our country has lost its soul, honestly. I think we've ignored God, and in the process, we're paying the price today. If you've just joined the conversation, our visit today with Dennis Rainey. Dennis, of course, is the president and co-founder of Family Life Ministries. You hear the broadcast along with Bob Lapine weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our visit with Dennis Rainey of Family Life Today on this edition of Lifeline. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to Lifeline. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with Dennis Rainey, certainly a familiar voice to KFAX listeners, a broadcast family life today, heard weekday mornings at 8.30 a.m. Dennis, of course, is going to be the keynote speaker at our upcoming 24th annual KFAX Pastors Appreciation Luncheon, Tuesday, November the 8th, 11 a.m. at the Marriott Hotel in Fremont. We were talking, Dennis, just before the break about this sense of what's happened with the disintegration of the American family and the fact that more often than not, and I think this is largely because we've lost the ability to to see role models. We're, we're we're seeing more and more generations coming from broken families, or or perhaps there was never a, a husband and wife relationship to begin with. A child that's born into a single parent family, and so we we've never learned how to model the proper relationship. And as you say, we then come into a marriage relationship generally focused on what it's going to do to make me happy, and I walk in with my set of blueprints for my agenda. My spouse has her blueprints, her agenda, and when we go to work to build this marriage, no wonder it's on shifting sand, rocky soil, and doesn't even have a foundation that will test or stand the first test that comes along. And I guess for the large part, that really gives us an insight into what's gone wrong. Now, the big question is, what do we do to change all of this? Well, as you were talking, I was thinking about a knock at the door that occurred at home one weekend uh, when I was there, and I went to the door, and it was a, a neighbor boy, young man who's in his early 20s. And he stood there, and he said, Mr. Rainey, I recently got married. Uh, we've had two kids right away. Been married for like four years, and I just got to tell you, I don't know how to do marriage. I don't know how to be a father. I don't know how to do family. And I know what you do. Do you have some tools that you could you could help me with? Well, I feel like, Craig, that young man is, is kind of exhibit A in our culture today. And you alluded to this earlier. We get married, uh, and as my mentor and, and a guy who uh, coached and trained me in much of my uh, what I've learned about marriage and family, Dr. Howard Hendricks said, he said, in Dallas, Texas, it takes three weeks of intensive training to become a garbage collector. But about all you have to do to get married there is to stand before the pastor or the justice of, of the peace and grunt, I do, <laughs> and you're in. And, and if you think about it, it is the most sacred pledge two human beings make to one another. And so we get married, and, and when it doesn't work out, the I do turns into I don't. And instead of continue to use the, the C word, commitment, and covenant-keeping love, we replace the C word with the D word and begin to threaten divorce. And there's research that has been done that points out when you start speaking a word to another person in the marriage relationship, like the word divorce, all of a sudden, that which was not even thinkable back when you started your marriage relationship becomes a live alternative. And I think there's a great need in America today for us to eliminate the D word from our vocabulary and to replace it with the C word, commitment and covenant-keeping love for a lifetime, because how else do two imperfect people go the distance? And I'll tell you, Craig, this is where... This is where uh, a relationship with Christ is, is, in my opinion, is how marriage works best. 
I don't know if we would still be married today. In fact, I can almost guarantee we we wouldn't be married if I had not become a follower of Christ and if Barbara had not been a follower of Christ. Because what does it mean to follow Christ? It means to surrender to Him, uh, yield our wills to Him, to love as He loved, live as He lived, and to deny yourself. Well, in that posture of two imperfect people denying themselves, there's the chance for that marriage to go the distance. And that's my hope, our hope in our marriage relationship, that both of us will yield to Christ and allow Him to love the other person through us and in His way. And I, I think it's just real hopeful today for young people who have given up on marriage, who, who, who have given up on the institution. There is a God he made marriage, and he knows how to make it work. You just gotta, you just gotta get the training and get the blueprints to begin to build. Well, and you know, we spoke earlier about this notion that we're seeing fewer and fewer millennials getting married. In fact, we've seen this twenty percent drop in marriage since 1960 and then those that do get married are waiting later and later the boomers used to do it in their early 20s now the millennials are waiting to as late as 28 29 sometimes 30 years old and lacking a proper role model no wonder that we have the kind of turmoil in the marriage relationship today but i'm i'm reminded of the fact that scripture as as christ teaches us about the marriage relationship there's one passage where we're told husbands you should love your wives as Christ loved the church. And you think about that and think, well, gee, Christ loved the church so much that he gave his very life for the church. Wow, that's pretty staggering. What marriage relationship begins to disintegrate is the wife is complaining that, well, my husband doesn't pay any attention to me. He doesn't have any time for me. The husband says, I get home after work after a hard day at the office, and instead of having dinner ready, she's on the telephone with her girlfriends. Imagine how a relationship would change if the effort that we put into that marriage relationship wasn't about my pleasure, my satisfaction, but rather focused on my spouse's how radically that relationship would change if we simply took the perspective of saying, how would God want me to care for my spouse? How should I be focused on meeting the needs of my spouse as Christ would have me to do that? You would imagine that every marriage relationship in this country, Dennis, would be radically changed for the better. You know it, you know it would. When, when I promised Arbor to, till death do his part, uh, back in 1972, I felt like at that point, Craig, I enrolled in the first grade of love. <laughs> I don't know what grade I'm in now, but I'm out of the first grade. That was puppy love back then. I mean, we've we've been through all kinds of hardship together. She's almost died on four different occasions with her heartbeat racing to 300 beats a minute. Uh, she's had cancer. Um, We've we've buried a a seven a little girl who lived seven days. It was our granddaughter, weeping with our daughter over the loss of their firstborn child. Uh, we've we've struggled with uh, our children uh, getting to maturity and and uh, had some some rugged challenges there. But but Craig, the, the way you weather the storm is back to what you're talking about. A husband has got to be a man. Um, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, challenged men 
to, to do everything they did with love and, and, and to be a man, act like a man. And when, when Christ tells us to love our wives as, as he loved the church, you said it. That means we got to give up our lives for our wives. And I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, Craig, but I, I, I don't know any, any dirt on you to, to share this with your listeners. But I'm selfish, okay? i got a feeling you are, too. And because we can be selfish men, uh, it means if I'm going to love my wife, I have to give up my rights to be served, and I've got to serve her. It means when we've had a hard day that instead of expecting her to uh, cook the meal and clean the dishes up and put the kids to bed, that maybe I jump up and help with the preparation of the meal, clean the kitchen, and say, you take a break and put your feet up while I take care of the kids tonight. Those are the practical ways of how a marriage, and you hit it, uh, I think it begins with men. One of the great, uh, I think one of the great challenges of our day is how men have been stereotyped as being barbarians. And uh, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that men have been robbed of their dignity. God gave them great dignity. And he calls us as men to courageous leadership, which demands self-denial. Dennis, you mentioned some of the resources available through Family Life Today. Of course, the Family Life Today Weekend Remember event that takes place here in the Bay Area annually and many other resources. I want to point listeners that would like to get more information in the direction of the Family Life website, you can simply go to familylife.com. That's familylife.com. Find out about upcoming seminars taking place here in the San Francisco Bay Area or very near you. Also, a plethora of resources available. We didn't mention at the start that Dennis is the author of more than 35 books, of many of them bestsellers, dealing right to these issues, including one of his bestsellers, Moments Together for Couples, and staying close. All of those resources and more available at the Family Life website again, familylife.com. That's familylife.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Is perhaps just a generation or so ago that we argued in apologetics debates, particularly, that God said, hath God said? Well, today the debate is simply that God, meaning does he even exist? Nietzsche asserted a century ago that God was dead, suggesting at least at the minimum that at one time God did exist. But today we debate his very existence ever. A new book helps you address a lot of these questions, perhaps questions you yourself have struggled with, certainly questions that maybe you struggle with in answering for uh, friends as you share your faith. The book is called simply, Does God Exist? And 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible. Its author is a lead pastor from Life Fellowship Church outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and the founder and host of the video ministry, The One Minute Apologist, Pastor Bobby Conway. Pastor Conway, great to have you on the program. 
Hey, it's good to be with you, buddy. Well, I guess these days, particularly with what we see going on in the world around us, whether we talk about politics or the spate of violence in particular, and a lot of it taking place in God's name or in Allah's name, and a lot of people get confused between the two, a lot of Christians really struggle to try to come up with these answers that will help satisfy uh, friends as they or co-workers as they share their faith. And in looking at your new book, I mean, it certainly isn't a 500-page tome. Uh, you could almost practically memorize the entire book, and toward that degree, I just wonder if that was your intent. Well, what I did want to do is help uh, my readers to gain some confidence around curious questions that they may have or people whom they're engaging conversations with might have. And so what I did, basically, is I've got almost a thousand videos on our One Minute Apologist YouTube uh, ministry site where I interview world-leading philosophers and apologists, and then I do a lot of the questions myself. And I just sought to take, you know, 50 or so of those type of questions that I do in video format and then put them in written format. So I wrote that book to give people a tool of some of the questions that people are asking today. And what I like about the book, Pastor, is it is literally a book that you could memorize. I mean, you you could almost spend a few minutes with this every day and committed a lot of the answers uh, to memory. There, there's some give and take in here, questions to consider, uh, memory verses that uh, the tie into uh, each of the questions along with uh, information concerning the links to the accompanied YouTube videos that you've produced that I think really can help equip Christians for, as as Paul told us, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Yes, and I also think that people want information, especially in this age, that is digestible, and I think that there is a place for uh, the tome, and I'm all about that. I read those myself. I think that it's good, though, for people to have a tool, and being a pastor... I have to be a pragmatician, uh, and I think that this is something that can serve as a tool whereby people can get together in small groups or in coffee shops, uh, or they can just have it as a resource manual to look up questions either about theology or worldview or sexual issues or some of the different things that we're facing right before us right now. Uh, one of the things that I like about your approach to this, so when I first picked up the book, I thought, well, we're going to expect to find some basic questions in there, sort of the questions of time and memoriam, does God exist, what about the virgin birth, uh, uh, is Jesus equal to, to God, things of this sort that are kind of basic Christian theology. But you have not shied away from dealing with any of the contemporary questions, so to speak, of our day either. For example, I, I first read it and thought, did I read that right? Will there be sex in heaven? Uh, you you don't shy away shy away from any of these topics, do you? Well, I mean, the reality is, is people have these questions, and I think in the church we need to say, hey, look, if we're sincerely striving to learn, it's okay to ask questions. Uh, and will there be sex in question? I mean, that's not uh, out of reason to ask that kind of question. Uh, will I still be married in question uh, in heaven? I mean, these are questions that that people thought about. In fact, that Jesus was uh, posed such a question. And we learned that, you know what, we're going to be, uh, you know, like the angels in heaven, neither given in marriage. So there's going to be a marriage on earth till death do us part. So there's not going to be sex 
in heaven, but I think that that's not anything for us to dread. It's hard to imagine, as adults, a world where there cannot be intimacy uh, between a person that we love, but we can know in heaven that the purpose of sex here on earth is for mutual pleasure and procreation, and our ultimate pleasure will be found in God, and there will be no procreative reasons for us to have sex in heaven. What's good, too, I think, about your approach to the book, Pastor, is that in addition to helping tackle questions that uh, we could run into day by day as we share our faith with others, there are also some very timely topics that, quite frankly, a lot of Christians struggle with themselves. They don't quite understand the answers, and we live in a society that not only promotes this sense of, of certainly, uh, uh, theological pluralism, but also from the standpoint of wanting to be, quote-unquote, tolerant, uh, and yet we say say, gee, how, how do I come about giving an articulate response to some of the more controversial topics? I mean, take, for example, the matter of marijuana use. Now, here in California, we're going to head to the ballot in November, not only decide who the next president will be, U.S. Senator from California, but also decide whether or not we should follow in the footsteps of Colorado and legalize recreational use of marijuana. This is one of the topics that you've chosen to deal with. I discern between medical marijuana and uh, recreational use of marijuana. I grew up in California myself, and I've been clean since October 9, 1994. I got clean at my first semester at Chico State, of all places. And uh, I don't know if it's still the party school it was back in the in the 90s. But it has a reputation. There. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought quite the place to go and get sober. I went to an AA meeting October 9, 1994. And I've been clean ever since. And so I smoked a lot of dope myself in California, so I'm not throwing uh, stones at those who, uh, who do. But I will say that I know back then a good hit of some green butt could get a high going. And with the THC levels where they are today, I just don't see how we can uh, maintain, uh, you know, temple care. The Bible talks about, you know, we're to honor our bodies, we're to take care of our temple, it kills brain cells. I think from a standpoint of medical use, I can see a real avenue for that. Suppose we were to wake up and read in the newspaper and we'd never heard about marijuana before, and we didn't have the negative connotations, and we saw scientists have found a leaf that can help those with cancer patients who are cancer patients to digest their food, to help them to gain weight, and to assuage them in the midst of their pain. I don't think we'd think anything of it because people use uh, many medications that are far worse right now than marijuana. So I can say I could see it being okay there, but just recreationally, I think that it's hard to make that case. If you've just joined our conversation, visiting tonight with the lead pastor from Life Fellowship Church outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, the author of the new book called Does God Exist? This and 51 other compelling questions about God and the Bible. It is a bite size, which is what I like about this. Um, a lot of people get put off. Questions arise. They don't know how to answer them. And they're too intimidated to uh, go out and buy a 500-page tome on the topic. And so, as a result, they just sort of maintain their sense of ignorance. But it's hard to be effective when it comes to witnessing today and not be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within, as Paul said. Not be uh, prepared to engage in, in thoughtful, 
reasoned give and take and to be able to take a stand and most importantly not only be educated and equipped ourselves but then share that knowledge with others as we share our faith and that's a long way toward what this book uh, is is focused on doing newly published by Harvest House by the way we'll take a brief time out come back to more of the conversation deal with a few other hot topics of the day as our visit with Pastor Bobby Conway author of Does God Exist continues here on Lifeline and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Helping you answer the big questions of the day, uh, perhaps for yourself, certainly for others, as you share your faith, having a sense of uh, uh, solid discipleship where we are learned a bit. Uh, we are trained, so to speak, within the basics of apologetics is, is kind of, uh, unfortunately, passing away, meaning that fewer and fewer churches um, underscore the importance of this, and yet I think really to be an effective witness in sharing our faith and also have a good sense of grounding in our own relationship with Christ, it's important that we have some of these fundamental answers, a fundamental understanding of our faith. And uh, the new book, Does God Exist? and 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible goes a long way toward, in a very uh, direct fashion, answer many of those questions. Its author is our guest today, Bobby Conway. He is also the lead pastor of Life Fellowship Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's also authored other books and uh, is the founder and host, by the way, of the rapidly growing video ministry, The One Minute Apologist, which is, I guess, Bobby, if you just do a, um, a search in YouTube, all of the link will come up. Absolutely, yeah. Just type in One Minute Apologist. We have a channel in YouTube where they can go to the OneMinuteApologist.com and they can learn more about the videos there. And this is really, I mean, I, I think of not just uh, new believers, but a uh, good refresher course for some of us that have been in faith for a lot of years, as well as an opportunity to get studied with a biblical perspective on some of the so-called hot topics of the day, which I know a lot of believers struggle with. I mean, for example, this issue of uh, transvestitism or a sex change uh, has been a lot in the news lately, particularly with uh, uh, Bruce Jenner capturing a lot of headlines. And I know that when the topic comes up, other than uh, sharing a sense of uh, disbelief or uh, uh, frustration with the topic. The, many, many Christians, I think, are just frustrated. They don't know how to answer. They don't know how to respond when this debate or this topic is approached. It's too bad that uh, the church has a reputation uh, for being bombastic at times. By and large, uh, the Christians that I come in contact are wonderful people, uh, humble people, but a lot of times they're not ready to engage in conversation uh, with people. Those who would say apologetics uh, isn't important uh, obviously uh, haven't been out sharing uh, with non-believers or engaging them with questions about their faith because those questions will come up. And in, in particular, this one on sex change, uh, this is a huge issue in our culture right now. And I do think that we should be looking for ways to exhibit compassion. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to feel trapped uh, with another gender inside of my body. Uh, at the same token, I think we can show a compassion. You know, I can't, uh, you know, imagine what that would be like. I'm not trying to throw stones at you here. I'm just trying to be faithful to the way that I believe that God created us. And I believe that 
uh, the chromosomal structure cannot be changed through a sex change. Uh, our chromosomal structure reveals whether we're male or female. Now, there is an intersex condition that some would have where maybe they might have some, you know, partial male and partial female body parts. And I can understand the situation like that where they might seek counsel and get some wisdom on how to be unified so they don't, so that individual doesn't feel like they're half male, half female. That makes sense. But I do think biblically we should realize that uh, sex is not something that we can just uh, play with. It's des- we're designed by God with a certain gender. The other thing that I think believers should uh, appreciate from a book like this is not only equipping them in terms of a, uh, a better, more articul- articulate, uh, apologetic approach to many of the hot topics of the day from a biblical perspective, but also some of the topics that kind of swirl within the church that oftentimes uh, we need to gain a deeper, more foundational understanding on. Uh, it is probably unlikely for the most part that the average non-believer is going to want to engage you in questions about the Trinity, but we know that uh, modalism or uh, Trinitarianism within the church, there are corners where this is hotly contested and debated, and from time to time, I think at least from a good biblical foundation, from a discipleship standpoint, it's important that believers understand what the Bible actually has to say on topics that are very relevant to the Christian Christian's faith, particularly in issues such as the Trinity. Sure, that's a good point, Craig, where we see that God is one in essence and three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think that there's a lot of confusion today, and I think that in my last book I wrote called Doubting Toward Faith, I wrestled with some of my own doubts and wrote about some of my own struggle with it and shared how, you know, we're living in a melting pot culture of belief. We're like a nation without a mission statement. We're not what we once were. We're not sure what we're becoming, but in between, in this tweener space, it's great. And there's lots of questions, and we're experiencing what Jennifer Heck talked about, this idea of cosmopolitan doubt, where my belief's bumping up against somebody else's belief, and we're wondering, how can I know what I believe is really true? And I think that we need to help people to deal with these questions and with their doubts, and a lot of people are intimidated to share their doubts because they're going to feel like they're an immature believer if they do, and I want to say as a pastor and as an apologist that in the absence of certainty, there's always going to be room for doubt. The question is, which worldview closes the doubt gap the best? And me, as a Christian pastor, I can struggle with doubts, but I believe when I look at the case for the resurrection of Jesus, and when I think about our worldview compared to other worldview options, I believe Christianity is uh, the greatest worldview standing and offers the greatest amount of evidence for us. Um, Do we also have to uh, concede that there are some topics for which there's just not real clear direction within Scripture uh, that sort of uh, now we see uh, through a glass darkly uh, approach that, you know, there are certain mysteries, so to speak, that we do not fully comprehend and give believers a sense of relief that that's okay? I think so. I think it makes us, uh, look, if somebody gets discipled, they're a brand new Christian, and then they go, okay, I've been discipled, I've had my five hours of training, uh, they're often ultra-dogmatic. They go out and they feel like they've, they've read their Left Behind series and they know how God's going to wrap the world up. And <laughs> Look, the reality is, is 
we're going to go in and out of some of these doctrinal positions on age of the earth or the timing of Jesus' return or which translation to use or whether or not one's a Calvinist or Arminian. And I think we need to give people some real freedom to think because sometimes we can give people such a tight doctrinal list that then if they're just thinking because they read another book, not trying to disobey God, just wrestling with the argument, they can feel like they're doing something wrong. And the reality is, is they're just thinking. And I think that's when we get back to, we need to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, love our neighbors ourselves. As Christians, our faith is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're keeping our faith there. And then we live it with a lot of flexibility, and we give each other a lot of grace, because we're splintering the church to death in the name of our pet particularities. And I think we need to loosen up a little bit. And I think that's a key point that you make, because there's also this perspective that says, listen, um, there are some doctrines, so to speak, that are going to constantly be open for debate. I mean, you know, upon baptism, should we sprinkle or should we dunk? I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's evidence to show, certainly from Christ's experience with it, that uh, the dunking is the way to go. That said, it certainly doesn't classify as a damnable doctrine, meaning that if you don't embrace it or believe it certain ways, uh, that, that you're going to be outside the confines of, 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 of so-called normative or, or um, a historical Christianity. But there's also this notion that we can sometimes get so caught up in the minutia of some of these completely unwinnable debates that we we end up seeing our relationship with very Christ himself suffer, don't we? I just would love to see the church at large really grasp what you're saying right there, because if we could just get... The beauty and the joy of learning. Yes, there's a corpus of theology that we're to believe, but the reality is, is we've got over 40,000 denominations. Uh, you know, uh, you can pit many of these great theologians that are our heroes, and they contradict each other on some of these viewpoints as well. That doesn't mean that undercuts our belief ultimately in the authority of Scripture. What it means is people are finite. And yes, there's one interpretation from God's perspective, but as humans, I believe myself included, none of us walk around as perfect interpreters of Scripture. So that should create some humility in us that, you know what, we're going to do our best to show ourselves as workmen who are approved of studying the Word of God, but we're going to be humble with the way that we handle that with others as well. And in doing so, of course, being prepared to give the answer, to not only deepen your own relationship with Christ and understanding of your own faith, but then to be more effective communicator at discipling believers that you've won to Christ, and certainly hope that's part of uh, your your life experience, and then to, to be prepared to share your faith with others. This book goes a long way in a very easy fashion. It answers the question, does God exist? That and 51 other compelling questions about God, the Bible, and quite frankly, life in general, wrestling with a lot of the questions, contemporary ones that we struggle with to this very day. Bobby Conway is the author of the new book, lead pastor of Life Fellowship Church, located just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, great job on the book, newly published, by the way, by our friends at Harvest House and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through some of the usual suspects, Amazon.com. You can also get it through Pastor Conway's website, Bobby Conway. 
Spell it just the way it sounds, bobbyconwayonline.com. That's bobbyconwayonline.com. And, you know, if you're looking for some quick, easy to nibble on and digest uh, and memorize content, not only the book, but also uh, we mentioned about his YouTube channel uh, that provides, what did you say, Bobby, over a 1,000 videos? Well, we're working close to a thousand. We've got about nine hundred right now, so almost a thousand different videos. And these are all called the one minute apologist that deals with just short bite-sized chunks of information on a whole variety of topics that, that very much mimic uh, what the book does. So you can check that out on YouTube by simply uh, doing a, a Google search. Go to YouTube and look for the One Minute Apologist. Again, the book, Does God Exist? And 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible, newly published by Harvest House. Our thanks to Pastor Bobby Conway for being with us tonight here on this edition of Lifeline. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.